Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This episode is presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Big Football Show, a podcast by The Athletic about Big Ten football. Today is Tuesday, December 14th, and this is Scott Dockerman, and I write mostly about Iowa. Today, I'm joined by Audrey Snyder, who covers Penn State for us here at The Athletic. How are you doing today, Audrey? Good, Scott. Happy almost early signing period start date. Boy, I tell you, this uh, season, <laughs> if it couldn't get any busier than, say, mid to late November, it gets busier in December now with the early signing period. And, um, you know, I know Penn State was what, number one in the country for a while there. Then uh, some kids made some decisions and now they're the, the Nittany Lions are not. But it's still uh, just one heck of a crazy period. And here we go. And it's just funny thinking that only what 10 days ago I was in Indianapolis watching the Big Ten championship game and here we are uh, you know signing periods uh, only a day away. Yeah it's really crazy like I tweeted something out um, over the weekend where it was like in the past week Penn State we all mostly thought they were going to go to Vegas for, for that bowl game but then they end up in the Outback Bowl and it was like you go from bowl selection to losing your defensive coordinator because Brent Private comes the head coach at Virginia Tech to Sean Clifford coming back for his sixth year, to safeties coach, coach Anthony Poindexter, we think was going to become the head coach at UVA. Then negotiations fizzled, so he came back. Then Penn State hires Manny Diaz to be the defensive coordinator. James Franklin's doing 8 million in-home visits. And then you're like, okay, like early signing period. We're, we're, we're back here. Everything's happening. Uh, Manny Diaz got announced as the new defensive coordinator on Saturday. Um, but it's just chaos, Scott. And I think as much as, you know, the coaches are spent this time of the year with the recruiting calendar, and I'm feeling it too. I'm like, let's just, let's just get through the next week. Um, it's, it's just December, I think has become the craziest, just the, the worst month um, for college football coverage. No question. And this one has been the craziest year for college coverage. I think, I mean, when you, we need to talk about what happened late part of November, early December with Brian Kelly, you know, magically getting a Southern accent on the flight to, to Baton Rouge and doing some crazy dance moves while he's down there, but the uh, family. Yeah. It's a family. You know, <laughs> I lived in Missouri for, for six years. I know how to stretch that out a little bit. But yeah, they, uh, you have, you know, Lincoln Riley had, and then, but you know, your place, it was weird because all year long, it, we, it, it was the James Franklin to USC rumor and mm-hmm. that never, that didn't materialize. And then I thought, oh man, when Dan Mullen, you know, got canned at Florida, I thought that would be a perfect fit for him. And then voila, he uh, turned a seven and five season into this, you know, magical extension, but what happened there and how is he still there and how are people receiving him right now? 
Yeah, I think it was the uh, the ultimate test of like approval ratings um, when that came out. That was right before Thanksgiving. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a new 10-year contract. Franklin's big thing is that the contract, while he is getting a slight pay increase, um, he says it's not about him, it's about the facilities and all these other things that he wants um, in terms of upgrades. Now, to me, the interesting part about this, Scott, um, we have still have not heard from athletic director Sandy Barber. We haven't heard from her since August. Um, so during that time, you have James Franklin rumored to be a candidate. You have uh, Penn State approaching him about working on a new contract, which the timeline Franklin gave us aligns with Penn State and Auburn at that point when Penn State's 3-0. and um, A lot of things happened since then, but that's he said when Penn State approached him about having a new contract, which is also around the time that Clay Helton got fired at USC. Um, so, I mean, it's just so much has transpired, but these things that he wants in terms of these upgrades, I, some of it is, it's like things like housing, right? And um, improved facilities. Now they're in the process of this massive weight room expansion and all these other things. Um, but it sure would be nice to hear from the athletic director um, as you know, your top employee has publicly questioned the university's commitment to his program for several months. So typically we hear from Barber at the bowl site. So I would think that's, that's going to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at it and, and he's said before that it's been about getting more money in the assistant coach salary pool, well, the questions I have, Scott, where does their assistant coach salary pool rank? Because Penn State doesn't make any of this information available. So to me, it's like there are a lot of questions for the athletic director, um, but hasn't been made available. So here we are. You know, it, it's inter it's a fascinating development to me because I always wonder when you start talking about assistant coach salaries, did you did you lose somebody or did you not get somebody because you couldn't afford to pay? Them? Right. And at a place like Penn State, I, I'm surprised if that's the case, even with this pool of money or mm -hmm. or not money. I mean, you know, everybody, you know, Big Ten, most schools have you know a ton of sports, you know, but everything funnels through football. So football right. gets whatever football wants. And. And so did he not get a coordinator because he wanted that coordinator because and this of is And this is where I, I don't think it's the case now. I think when he got here, it was the case. But now that we're almost eight years into it, I mean, you look at, they brought in Mike Yersich last off season. Um, that's a big time offensive coordinator hire, you yeah. know, and you still were on the hook for Kirk Sharaka's buyout. So, and Kirk, of course, has since wound up back at Minnesota. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you look at it and I think, you know, and I think this is where the fan base gets frustrated because it's like you can kind of make all these comments, all these jabs about wanting more support, all these things. But at some point, you've got to beat Illinois. At some point, the on-field product, you've got to improve that record in the Big Ten East. And that's kind of what, what this year was. And then, you know, you have Friday's news with Sean Clifford saying he'd come back for his sixth year. And you've got fans grumbling about it. I mean, it's just, I think it's kind of like the, the shiny new toy where a lot of people want to see five-star quarterback Drew Aller, uh, who's set to uh, sign on, uh, excuse me, tomorrow on Wednesday, and then enroll here uh, in January. I mean, Scott, Clifford's going to be your bridge to the next quarterback. Um, I think if you're Penn State, after the way that Iowa game went when Sean Clifford got hurt and Taquan Roberson wasn't ready and has since entered the transfer portal, um, I think if you're Penn State, you got a little scared about the unknown at quarterback. So 
you know, you sign up for Clifford again, even though you know it probably is going to be a bumpy ride. But I mean, it's it's kind of where you're at. But I think between the Franklin new contract and Clifford coming back, a lot of fans are just kind of like, well, here we go again. Next year's going to be more of the same. And I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure that'll be the case, but we'll see. You know, I'm intrigued constantly by the Penn State program because I they weren't that – Penn State wasn't that far from being a, a New Year's Six team at least, yeah. you know, being a 11-1, 10-2 type of team that could have gotten that whole game, uh, you know, a Peach Bowl or whatever. Uh, but it didn't. And the, the couple games you referenced, Iowa and Illinois, two West Division teams, which, you know, no team is – no program has grumbled about the East-West divide like Penn State. Mm-hmm. Nobody has. And I don't know if that's just because of the historic ties, if that's just James Franklin, but all that anger, frustration over the East West has, has really been Penn State related. Uh, I haven't heard it from anybody else. And, and so to lose it at Iowa, yeah, Sean Clifford was cooking, you know, early on. Iowa tends to allow that to happen. They usually, except for against Michigan, where they, they uh, <laughs> you know, early on, they, they kind of, you know, they, they play a similar style and they kind of contract and, and stop teams, but um, you got to get your back and quarterback ready. I mean, everybody else has. And, uh, and so, you know, losing Illinois at home, that's inexcusable. That's a team that didn't even go to a bowl game. So, Coming off a bye week too. I mean, yeah. that to me is like, you know, if you want to complain about all of these other things, the on-field product has got to be better. And Penn state knows it. Um, I mean, honestly, Scott, to me, their most impressive win this season, and this might sound crazy to some people, but it's actually um, the win that they had against Rutgers because like 20 plus kids were out with the flu and other kids were playing with flu-like symptoms. And that's when they saw backup quarterback Christian Veyu, um came in early in the first quarter because Clifford was trying to play through the flu and, and it did not go well for him. He couldn't make it. Uh, to me, that was like a really impressive look um, just because of all they had to overcome. But then you take that same roster with a bye week and you roll out against Illinois. And it's just, to me, one of the most surprising things about this Penn State team this year is that they've got all of this talent in the backfield and they can't run the ball. Mm-hmm. And they are so hell-bent on being a team that can run the ball and trying to showcase their physicality, right? And that, you know, that they can run the ball, they can impose their will, and they can't. And that to me was you look at the Michigan State game, one of the worst secondaries in the country, and Penn State was determined to run the ball despite having their way in a blizzard throwing the ball, which I know normally would sound crazy. But, um, yeah, it's it's just where they're at. And then this offensive line, until this line gets better, you got to temper expectations, Scott, because you can't win in the Big Ten and this Big Ten East you can't win if your offensive line is consistently underperforming. And, uh, you know, the team I cover has significant challenges except at one position up front. Um, they had two walk-on start. They had a true freshman start, um, you know, so it, it was, uh, it, it's kind of the same deal where, I mean, you got a team that ran for 3.2 yards per carry and still made it all the way to Indianapolis. And, uh, Scott, so, how how do you watch that Iowa offense all the time? I'm just asking on behalf of many people who watch that Big Ten title game and anyone who's watched Iowa over, over time. No question. Um, worst offense I've seen at Iowa. And, and Iowa's not known for having great offenses. Let's put it right. that way. <laughs> um, you know, 
I, I, it, it's not the most fun. It, it, you got to make your own joy, I guess. No. <laughs> <laughs> Choose your own adventure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, maybe uh, see, you know, what, what point do they punt? You know, kind of, you should have bingo chips or, or uh, poker chips in the press box. Okay. They're at the, the 38. Uh, I bet they punt before they get to midfield. Now, um, Iowa's problem, they, they do need to do something different. And with when you have a coach that's been in place that long, who's had that level of success, I mean, he did have a 10-win season. They, they're only one win. You know, if you look the last six years, that only um, Wisconsin has one more win than Iowa and then Ohio State. That's it, the Big Ten. And and they've had their fair share of, I mean, they've, they've beaten Michigan recently. They've beaten Ohio State, Penn State. You know, uh, Michigan State's la- the last time they played them was 49-7. to So, I mean, they've they've had their fair share of wins, but man, it's this year, you, every single possible problem they had at the same time, they couldn't pass the ball. You know, it, they need in a pro style offense, you need to complete 62% of your passes and they're at 50. Um, you, you know, when you're a running team, a zone running scheme, and you really, that's your tenant, that's what you got to do. You've got to average, you know, 4.3, you know, maybe more yards per carry. Optimum is 4.5. If they feel like they get that, they can roll through some teams. And instead, they're at 3.2. And it's just – and you have a, a running back who just declared for the draft and, and Tyler Goodson. And and then, you know, they're young on the offense, uh, on the receivers. It's just – it's really hard. And, and they were lucky because they had a pretty good defense. It wasn't as good as last year's. When they had, uh, you know, two draft picks and, and the defensive player of the year and Davion Nixon, you know, he made a pretty good play against Penn State, I, I, if I recall. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it, they've got to do something different. And it's kind of to the point of, guys, quit it. You, you've got to you've got to change. This isn't 2002 anymore. This isn't, you know, they, they still play offense like they're playing against a 4-3 with a sledgehammer at linebacker who's, uh, you know, their offensive line is more athletic than their defensive front seven. So they can do, all, it's, it's different and they've got to change that. And I don't know that they will and until they do that. I'm not saying the same result will happen as in Indianapolis. A lot of things crashed on them like a piano down the stairs, but um, the, <laughs> Great analogy. The, yeah. <laughs> they're just not going to be a, a championship, big 10 championship caliber team until they can get a, a quarterback who can complete 60% and move the ball down the field and be, be able to run the ball at four and a half yards of carry. If they can do those two things, sure, they, they can handle most teams with their defense and special teams, but until they can't they do that, you know, they're going to be a good program, a tough out, but not a championship caliber program. Yeah, it's just, it was, it was so bizarre to watch them because um, it's like the point that you made, it seems like you're watching an offense that you're just going to have to take dragging and kicking and screaming into 2022 and be like, hey, like, welcome to college football. Look at how so many other programs are playing. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that that defense with, with the takeaways. I mean, I remember, gosh, Scott, it feels like forever ago when Penn State <laughs> went in there and it, both top five programs at that point. Um, my, how things have changed. We got both fan bases that were at each other's throats after that week. Also not what I expected to come out of that mm-hmm. week. Um, but, yeah, it just feels like, you know, what we watched – so far throughout this season, just the way storylines change is always fascinating to me. But yeah, to me, that's always been the one thing with Iowa. It's like, man, if you could just have a somewhat explosive offense, not only would it be more enjoyable for the rest of us to watch, but also like, you know, you could, you could really push people in the West more so than you have. Um, So yeah. So 
best of luck watching that in the bowl game. Kentucky, Iowa. It's uh, you know, I think it's kind of hide your eyes until the final five minutes. Cause I think it'll be like 16, 16, uh, each team with three <laughs> field goals or something like that. And then it'll be all right. Each team can mount a drive, not give up a PI and, you know, or turnover or something like that. But yeah, and but, I look forward to Penn state trying to convince themselves that they can run the ball. Um, they've not gotten a running back over 100 yards rushing in a game this season, Scott. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they will keep going. Cause if it doesn't work, you got to keep trying it. Man, it just seems so strange. Just even a short period of time ago with, with Noah Kane and, and journey Brown mm-hmm. and just some really talented running backs being able to move up and down the field. And of course, uh, before that, with, with Miles Sanders and then Saquon Barkley, and Barkley, you know, I mean, still to me the greatest the, the the greatest scheme I've ever seen in an individual game offensively was Joe Moorhead against Iowa in sixteen, yeah. um, almost six hundred yards against that team, and um, just how he knew which buttons to push and who to isolate one on ones, and it was just masterful. New, and then he had Akron head coach Joe Moorhead, right? Yeah, Akron. Yeah, yeah, and so. quick quick note on those running backs, Scott. Um, as we're recording this, um, Penn State that backfield getting quite a bit better in the coming years. Are set to sign two backs on Wednesday. Um, one of them is Nick Singleton of Governor Mifflin, which is a school here about eh, two two and a half hours away from State College, and uh, he's the Gatorade National Player of the Year, so the top high school player. Um, per Gatorade. So he was presented with the award virtually by Saquon Barkley um, Tuesday morning. So again, if the offensive line gets better, you've got special backs back there. This will be a two back class with uh, Katron Allen from IMG Academy also set to join him. He'll be at the Under Armour game um, next early next month. So we'll see Scott, but yeah, it's just, I mean, the running back talent that has come through this place has been insane. Sure. Well, I, I think, it, you know, looking at uh, who got coach of the year and a lot of and that's, of course, reflected on the, the, the team performance. I didn't vote this year. I did the year before, but Jim Harbaugh, dare I say, might have gotten my vote um, just simply because as bad as they were a year ago, that they were that good and better. Um, and then Mel Tucker, of course, had a yeah. tremendous year, too. Both of them did. And and I just I, it, it, it's really fascinating to me to see how they they change their their you know there's you know and even Penn State for that matter you start going five and in, in 2020 and then went four straight and then ended up what went in ten straight overall I want to say for the Iowa loss yep. um, but uh, this this division we always knew it was capable of being a monster 2020 was not at all except for Ohio State now it, it appears that it is again. Um, I guess, what was your impression of what made Michigan tick? And is the new contract in Michigan State um, a smart move for that program? Or was that kind of a knee-jerk reaction to one really good year? Yeah, the, the first part about Michigan, I think, and this has some, has some Penn State flavor to it, too. Um, Broyles Award winner Josh Gaddis as the OC. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was here with with Penn State staff and then left to go to Alabama. And I know some Penn State fans say, oh, my gosh, James Franklin promoted the wrong guy at that. T- I mean, at that point, you knew Gaddis was a bright up and comer, but also like you couldn't make that jump at that point. I mean, he was the receivers coach, the recruiting coordinator. Um, and again, it's not like he's always been successful at Michigan. I think that's the other thing people have to have to remember, but certainly what they did this year was really remarkable. Um, watching Aiden Hutchinson play was just so is so much fun. 
Um, I'm really curious to see kind of where he goes um, in the NFL. He was number two on, on my Heisman ballot. He was, and was he one on yours? And honestly, Scott, had it not been for Bryce Young's performance at the end of the season, um, I would have put him number one. I mean, in our Heisman straw poll at the Athletic, uh, heading into the final week, I had Hutchinson at one, um, Bryce Young at two, and then I mean, the way, the way it kind of ended up, I felt good with my picks, but man, he's a monster. Like I just, and Penn state, um, you know, not so many fond memories there for Penn state's offensive lineman. He had a field day for them, but to me, that was kind of the thing. It's like, you saw this Michigan defense that was just awesome. And you finally coupled it with a nice offense. And to me, that's kind of like, it's almost like the Iowa thing where it's like, if ever this offense can get going, you're always going to have a pretty good defense. Um, so I thought for, for Michigan, that was pretty cool to see. And then the Michigan State thing. So the way it played out, and I remember talking with Colton Pouncey, our Michigan State writer, back and forth, because leading into the um, land-grant trophy game, it's James Ooh. Franklin. Yeah, what a, what a game yeah. that is. Yeah. James Franklin gets the new 10-year contract, and then Mel Tucker gets his new deal all in that same week. I was really surprised initially because I thought for sure LSU was going to make a big run at him. And, and I just thought, all right, Mel Tucker's moving on. You talk about the Big Ten East, Scott, and the divisions that you touched on earlier. Life in the Big Ten East just got a heck of a lot harder for Penn State um, and many other teams, but especially for Penn State, when you look at Mel Tucker staying there and how active and how successful they've been with the transfer portal. Yeah. To me, that was really the kind of the remarkable thing. I mean, you get Kenneth Walker out of the portal and you say, man, this is this is pretty crazy. And you just kind of look long term at their commitment. Um, we talked about facilities at Penn State a little bit earlier, but Michigan State, their commitment to these facilities, the rich donors that they have that want to make these things possible. Um, I am very curious to see what happens with Michigan State the next year or two, because I just think the way Ohio State's positioned, the way Michigan has reemerged, the way Michigan State played this year with Penn State teetering, we're really, I think, at a tipping point for the Nittany Lions here and kind of just where they even fit in their own division at this point. Yeah, you're right. I'm fascinated on that one, too. I think I'm using that word way too often. I better stop. But but when you look at Ohio State, they're not going anywhere. They lost one game. You know, and, yeah, Unless Ryan Day goes somewhere, they're not – yeah. They're Ohio State, and everybody else isn't. And, and Ohio State lost a rivalry game to a very committed program in Michigan, committed to beating them, finally beat them, their big rival. And hats off, Michigan played a hell of a game. I mean, they, they attacked, 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 and didn't let up. Did the exact same thing in the Big, 12, in the Big Ten championship game against Iowa because Iowa has a tendency the in games like that where there's a team with superior talent, let's drag them down in the mud and we're going to wrestle for, for 60 minutes and then we're going to kick a field goal and win that damn game. Um, Michigan had no plans of getting in that game. They were like, well, all right, we're going to do a halfback option pass and we're going to beat your corner because your best corner is out with a hamstring. And that's what happened. And then they're up 14 to three. They stop Iowa on some drives and then you know, just block a punt. They go after a punt, you know. So I, I look at uh, these, uh, you know, Michigan is going to be there now. Um, they were a quarterback away um, really throughout Harbaugh's tenure. Um, you know, he kind of now, now we have to throw 2020 out the window as the aberration. And you look back and uh, whether it's Shea Patterson, man, eh, not the answer. Wilson, Wilton Spite, or it yeah. wasn't the answer. Jake Rudock was the best one, and he was a you know a K 
cast off from Iowa at that point. And, but now Cade McNamara has really proven himself to be a very much capable running uh, quarterback. And he's, they've got decent receivers, but their best one was out. And they've got an offensive line that blocked like crazy. So I really like the way the Wolverines play. Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo were <laughs> unbelievable as a tandem. Yeah, and like I said, Hutchinson was my number one guy for really the most of November. And then I voted him that way because um, reminds me a lot of J.J. Watt when he was in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, not quite as bulging arm-wise, yes. uh, but but equally just, you know, he's, he's better than Watt was in Wisconsin. He, he was, Watt was good, but he wasn't this good. And um, in the NFL, it's a different story. And I'd love to see the Detroit Lions get him because he's a Michigan guy, and you kind of need that. So you're just – Cursing his career, Scott? Is that what I just heard? That's what you're wishing upon maybe the poor guy? He's, uh, maybe he's the difference maker. Maybe he's the one that elevates that franchise. and They could use it. I could feel bad. You know, I remember that being the, the conversation here with Micah Parsons. Uh, it was, you know, hey, if the Lions get Micah Parsons, he'll be the guy that'll, you know, help change everything. And well... <laughs> Uh, lucky for him, he ended up with a different place. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he might be the defensive player. I mean, his impact as an outside oh, linebacker yeah. is, I mean, we saw it, and he backed out last year. But, man, we saw what he was capable of doing. That Cotton Bowl again. And I think that's always the interesting thing for me, Scott, and I'm curious. You probably feel I would think the same way about this, but, like, you see guys like Micah Parsons who kind of blow up in the NFL right away. And people are like, oh, my gosh, he's incredible. And it's like, yeah, like, guys, like, if you'd watch football on Saturdays, you'd know this. Like, it's to me, it's just, you know, I mean, I think back to how he played in the Cotton Bowl, and I've never seen anything like that. I don't think I'll ever see someone play like that again. And mm-hmm. he's a one-man wrecking crew in Dallas right now. Um, and Adafi Owe, the other guy, the defensive end with the Ravens. I mean, this is somebody yeah. who at Penn State, it was always about potential and, and just kind of yeah. tapping into it and – um, you know, the Ravens are getting that right now. Yeah, I, I get frustrated very, very quickly when the echo chamber for the NFL draft starts to really bounce around. And and then every all the analysts kind of rally around one little signal one way or the other. And, and so for three months we hear about, yeah, but he's just his arms aren't long enough or, he, you know, he just in size. Yeah, yeah, just all these little, you know, sayings and cliches. And then voila, they turn up and, you know, like. Uh, you know, the one really probably that of all that got me was was Tristan Wirfs uh, at Iowa. I mean, just an incredible athlete and and probably the one of the nicest human beings. He he's always like, man, you got to get meaner. <laughs> that was what everybody said <laughs> because this kid could do anything. I mean, he could do he could stand literally stand you know in in a pool and jump up to the side. It, it's yes, yeah, you know, absolute freak. Yeah, um, you know, hand pounds, and max, and stuff like that. Well, um, you know, a lot of the the NFL, you know, industrial complex people were saying, "Well, I, I don't know if he anchors well enough. He's going to have to kick inside to guard." And I'm like, "Are you kidding me? You know, why don't you give this kid that's got unbelievable athletic ability an opportunity on the outside?" And uh, if he can't do it, then maybe think about putting him inside. And, and of course, he started every game as a right tackle, uh, gave up one whole sack for Tom, for Tom Brady last year. And they won the Super Bowl and is one of the best tackles in the NFL. But, oh, yeah, let's, he's got to kick inside the guard. I think he could be an all pro there. Um, you know, Mel Kuyper had George Kittle as a fullback. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm yeah. like, I, I'm sitting with George. I, I sat. Two that should be the lead of this podcast. That's our title right there. Mel Kuyper and George Kittle as a fullback. 
Yeah. He, uh, he had him as a fullback and I, I'm sitting there. I went to, I was with Kittle on his draft day. Okay. Uh, I was with his family's home actually the night before the second, third rounds and he didn't get picked. And then, you know, and watched some tight ends come off the board that let's say they surprised the family quite a bit. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and there were some words said out loud. Well, you know, and it's just like, did you guys, did you watch him play or did you just watch some clips and see that he does this and where he's from Iowa? So therefore he needs, you know, it's just ridiculous. So anyway, going all the way back, Micah Parsons, phenomenal player in the NFL. People could, if how, when he signed, everybody knew he was going to be good. And uh, he had, a, he was an un- unbelievable athlete when he signed. And no. since it's the, the uh, early signing period um, on Wednesday, Scott, that recruitment for Micah Parsons was just insane. I mean, I remember going to a basketball game, had to be his either sophomore or junior year. I don't even remember at that point, but it, I mean, he was a big deal. He was a big deal all the way through. I mean, I remember he was up here at a camp the one summer and like just to mess with kids. He came and camped as a receiver uh, and he was just torching these kids. I mean, these are his peers and, you know, but like athletically, they just were no comparison. And it's like, he's talking all this trash as a receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was just a lot of fun to watch. And I remember talking to his high school coach and that Micah, they needed somebody to punt at one point. And he's like, coach, I can do it. And they're like, no, Micah, like, come on, man, stop messing with us. And then he mm-hmm. took the football and punted in practice. And they were like, oh man, you're our punter. Like just an athletic freak. Um, but yeah, I mean, I always, you know, it's, I love watching the NFL. I know you do as well. Um, maybe sometimes sure. against your, against your better judgment with those bears. Um, but sure. you know, it, to me, it's a lot of fun when you see these guys and you see them playing on Sundays and you're like, yeah, we just, we watched that for the last, you know, two to four years in college. Yeah. The last word on my NFL experience right now, especially after Sunday night is, um, it, it, it's more fun if your team sucks. It's more fun when they actually have a first round draft pick because mm-hmm. then you can start to say, well, you know, they're going to get rid of the coach. You hope they get rid of the GM too while they're at it. And well, they're going to draft in the top five or top six and they'll be able to get this. Claim. Well, I'm glad that the Bears have Justin Fields. I think he's a tremendous player. He's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also kind of like, man. They have so many problem areas and they can't address till the second round because Ryan Pace figures, you know, fewer draft picks seem to be more important. And that's not just this case, but, you know, trading up for Mitch Trubisky because he was scared. I mean, he was, he's kind of like the, you know, the, what's his name, Jeff something, Carson in, in uh, draft day, the Jacksonville Jaguars GM. That's, that's uh, Ryan Pace. He's, uh, oh, well, well, you know, I'll, I'll give up uh, my first round pick for four or three second rounders. I mean, that's kind of the way he is, but anyway, Speaking of Mitch Trubisky, Scott, you just gave me a launching point here. Um, I went to Ohio earlier this year to do a story on Penn state's five-star quarterback, Drew Aller. Um, and one of the things I was talking to people and they were like, yeah, you know, like we haven't seen a guy like this since Mitch Trubisky. And I was like, Oh, is this a good thing? And then, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. It was a good thing at that point. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you look at it and, uh, Travis Kelsey was another guy that Aller kind of garnered comparisons to just size wise. And I was like, oh, wow, that's yeah, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect we'd go down the Mitch Trubisky rabbit hole today, but here we are. Um, just so you can see it's got people listening camp, but my Packers stock certificate over there, my ownership is on display, but there we are. Well, I hope you have another excruciating playoff exit. Um, <laughs> Probably geared up for it. <laughs> Mm-hmm.
be the that's the Schadenfreude I've uh, for it. I've experienced the last thirty plus years as a Bears fan. It's just and and it's it's not that you're living rent free. It's just like I got to yeah. root for something, so I'm going to root against you. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't even I can't even root against the Vikings. I mean, I'm like, well, at least they hate them too. And and the Lions, well, yeah, some I might as well just say, okay, it's all right. You're on, you're on my team now too. But <laughs> <laughs> so Aiden Hutchinson, Lions, uh, better than uh, Micah Parsons, I guess uh, in that regard. But. Um, you know, Ohio State is, is past um, Penn State in the, the 24-7 composite ranking. So that's not surprising. They, they tend to win this every year. Um, do you know much about their class and, and, you know, maybe who might end up being kind of number one for the Buckeyes or who's somebody who can step in and all of a sudden, voila, there they go. I mean, you know, they, yeah. who do you no, know? So, I mean, to, to me, the interesting thing with Ohio State um, is, and I always, again, I always come at it from the Penn State perspective, but it goes back to Drew Aller and they had Quinn Ewers, which feels like forever ago, because yeah. now, of course, he's heading to Texas. Right. Um, but they had Quinn Ewers. So because they had Quinn, they didn't pursue Drew Aller. Um, so it ends up Aller's recruitment blows up in Ohio. Um, he's Mr. Ohio football. And then late in the process, Ohio State comes back and it's like, hey, we really want Drew Aller. Um, and at that point, Drew was like, you know what? I'm sticking with Penn State. He likes Penn State offensive coordinator Mike Yursich, uh, who is an Ohio guy. Yeah. So you kind of you see the connections there and you look at it. But yeah, to me, it's like Ohio State, of course, because they're always Ohio State. Um, you look at Larry Johnson, Scott, and, and you look at the defensive linemen that they've had come through there. Um I mean, to me, that's, again, and I made this point earlier about Penn State and their offensive line, but recruiting in the trenches, that's always always the thing. Um, I think that's how you win in this division. That's how you sustain success. Yes, the skilled players are great and they're nice, um, but had Penn State gotten Julian Fleming a few years ago instead of Ohio State, they're still not beating the Buckeyes. You know, like it's just I think you look at it and you say, okay, you've got to get better in the trenches. Um so that's kind of something that's how I always look at a class, but I haven't, uh, I haven't parsed through Bill Landis's brain recently to kind of get his thing. I mean, the, the interesting thing with the Penn state class was it was strength in numbers. And that was kind of always their thing. Um, yeah, 25, 26 kids. So off the bat, that's going to inflate your averages, your numbers, when you just look at the totality of the class. So it's going to be a really good class. Um, but also, I mean, and again, Scott, I think, and this is where it gets really interesting to me when you look at a recruiting class is now, how do we factor in these transfers and transfer portal yeah. additions and subtractions? Like, I just feel like the early signing period now is just one part of how you get your roster and you still have that extra COVID year floating around out there for other guys. So how do you then factor that in? And to me, it's just like, I, somebody asked me the other day, like, well, what, what parts of Penn state's roster need to be addressed. And I was like, honestly, like we got to figure out who's staying and who's going first. Like yeah, it's, just, right. it's just crazy. Yeah, it is. No question. Um, <laughs> yeah. W whether or not, you know, any of these seniors want to stay, I mean, do they want to leave and hit the transfer portal and go somewhere else too? I mean, maybe, uh, you know, there are, there's a lot of FCS players that are floating around there that want to get that, take that next step and, and do something. Uh, you know, uh, one fan uh, to me, one really interesting development last week was when five-star safety Xavier and Wampa picked mm -hmm. Iowa over Ohio State that same day. 
Sonny Styles reclassifies as uh, um, you know from a 23 to a 22 player, and then somehow jumps in Wampa as <laughs> the <laughs> better safety in the prospect. So uh, you know we, that's something that's always noticeable that if you're if you're getting offers or if you pick an Alabama or Ohio State, your status grows a little bit. But uh, no, you, you know the, when you hit talk about the transfer portal, that's that's a really important part of it. But I, I also think in some ways it's like NFL free agency that, you know, for every Michigan state, you're going to find a lot of players who aren't going to be fit or they're, or they're vagabonds or they just, they want it out of their last place or, or even worse that they love being recruited so much that they couldn't handle being coached in this sport. And so it's the second year they quit, they want to go out, everybody loves them again. And then same deal. And then they just kind of fall apart. And, and so I, I, I'm, I'm, I think this is going to be something that five years we can really study and see if this is, if this works the way it's intended to, my guess is it, it'll be mixed reviews like always. Yeah. And you know, it's always magnified the recruitments and the transfers of quarterbacks. Like that's always going to be the thing. Um, every program, that's the guy you need. That is the most important guy to, to get your program over the top. Um, and kind of circling back to the Buckeyes real quick. I mean, you look at the, the Quinn Ewers thing, the way it plays out, he gets that, that hot second there in Columbus. Um, but they still like, they rally and they get Devin Brown to commit. Yeah, right. So, I mean, you've got, you've got a four-star quarterback. So when it's all said and done, you've still got a really, really good quarterback. Um, but to me, like their class, you got C.J. Hicks, the linebacker, which I do believe he's supposed to be at the Under Armour game. Um, so mm-hmm. I'll probably get a chance to talk with him early next month. Um, but that's, you know, that's a guy like Hicks has been committed to them, which feels like forever um, since like early 2020, I believe at this point, like spring of 2020. Um, so, you know, I just think you kind of you take the totality of a class, but. I always want to know, Scott, with your class, do you have that quarterback that can take you over the top? Kind of like you mentioned earlier, um, when you kind of circle back to it and you say, okay, does Iowa have that guy that can get you there? Right. Um, And then you got to keep re-recruiting who's in your room. That's the whole other part of this, you know, and um, you play the numbers game and we saw it already with Penn state this week where it's like, okay, Sean Clifford says he's coming back for that sixth year. So Taquan Roberson, who Iowa fans will remember, comes in the Penn State-Iowa game, does not have himself a good day. Roberson's now in the portal. Um, He's already tweeted out that he's got an offer from UConn. And so your room continues to shape and evolve that way. So, you know, we can sit here and say, okay, yeah, this, this team on signing day, they did a great job, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately... I think you go back and you look at a Michigan state and you say, Oh my gosh, look what they got out of a portal or even Penn state with an Arnold Evicati, their defensive end. Mm-hmm. It's a guy you got from temple. I mean, it, this wasn't somebody that we were sitting here last year at the early signing period and saying, Oh, we were saying, wow, they got to get a defensive end. These guys in the room probably aren't going to be able to develop quickly enough. Then you add some injuries into that in, in the off season. And all of a sudden AK becomes, you know, your your standout defensive lineman and, and he wasn't even on your roster six months ago. Sure. And I, I think the constant churn and flow um, is going to be um, awesome to watch in some ways. Cause as you said, you know, Arnold Ebiketti was mm-hmm. one of the more dominant players outside of Hayden Hutchinson in the, in the, on the defensive side of the big 10. And uh, just as it's almost like you're trading, 
Uh, but then there's going to be a Roberson there for a team like a Temple or a UConn. Or um, I think in everybody's case, you're looking at, you know, Iowa, for instance, recruits a qu- one quarterback every year. But you've got to almost figure that 50% of them are not going to be there for their full, um, you know, they're not going to say. And, and it makes sense. If you got somebody who's going to be a multi-year starter and that's what you mostly want, then the one right before them and probably right after them is gone, or they're going to leave and they're going to go find another opportunity. And and uh, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. So, you know, <laughs> that – but I think it's healthy. I, I, I'm still not – on the, I wish it was the way it was. I, I think it's healthy for these players to have these options and these opportunities. And oh, I love it. Yeah, because if you're in your, say you're a sophomore, you know you're entering like your second full spring, your third season ish, and you're not on the two deep. It, it it might be time to evaluate what's the most important thing. Is it to stay at your current school? continue to maybe play special teams, maybe be a backup eventually, graduate, or is it, hey, um, I can get my piece of paper anywhere. I want to play. I have a finite amount of opportunities. And and if I go play somewhere, I get a chance to, to maybe get a, an opportunity to the next level. Then I think that's the fair part. And then likewise, if you dominate at an FCS or a MAC level and, and you want to prove yourself at the Big Ten, um, teams are going to be interested in you. I, I mean, I, and here's an interesting anecdote, but, you know, Iowa's had five out of the, out of the last 10 um, defensive backs of the year. There were two three stars, two two stars, and one gray shirt out of those five. And a lot of them had MAC offers or going to MAC before Iowa swoops in late. Um, those are the types of players that are going to be available after, say, year three at the MAC, and they get five interceptions and they're, you know, uh, on their way. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm going to go play against Ohio State's guys and show that I can be a, um, an NFL guy. So I, I really, I like it. I think that's, it adds to the the intrigue of the off season and, and college football now is the, to me, the most interesting sport out there because of all these elements. And then it just makes the season uh, just one part of it. Yeah, I mean, Scott, where else do you get this level of flight tracking, of coaches faking <laughs> accents, of, you know, players <laughs> just saying, you know, hey, I'm going to enter my name in the transfer portal. Maybe I'll come back. Maybe I'll go. I mean, it is the entertainment yeah. level. You know, if, if you step away from it, if you have no emotional ties to it, it's off the charts. I mean, it really, th- this coaching carousel has been absolutely insane. And you know, the human side of us, I mean, you feel for the kids as they don't know the players, these young adults, you know, are, are their coaches staying? Are they leaving? Well, hey, the coach just told me this. Or, you know, I, I go back to a Manny Diaz. It's like we all just watched this guy get publicly humiliated on his firing. Yeah. And then next thing you know, like he gets fired on a Monday and Saturday night, he's walking out of the tunnel at Beaver Stadium as the linebackers coach and defensive coordinator. And you're like, well, that was quick, you know, yeah. just crazy. Yeah, what a what a development that was. I mean, I think that's maybe as bad of a of a situation that could come back to bite Miami, if anything, because when you allow somebody to kind of hang on, and yeah, you're the guy, and everybody knows that they're talking to somebody else, then and you're still stuck there. It's like, you know, you're, you're it's like you're cheating on your spouse or your significant other. You know, it's 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 kind of a it was bad. It was the worst. And, and I mean, it was delayed for a couple of days. So like the agony was prolonged. It had to have been for Manny Diaz, but you know, I'm sure you may not 
had a nice settlement out of that. Um, and now he's at Penn State, which is a better program. And, uh, you know, he does a good job there and can end up like Brent Pry and, and go to a, you know, maybe an ACC rival. Maybe he'll end up, maybe Manny Diaz will end up at uh, Florida State or something like that. And you know, and I think this is, this is a reset opportunity for him. You know, you look at it, um, major downgrade on the weather aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy got into boating recently. I talked to some people like, yeah, he's got a new affinity for boating. And I was like, well, I hate to tell him around here. It's a little bit different in central Pennsylvania, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you look at it and you say, you know what? The opportunity for Brent Pryor, Virginia tech, it was the right fit. It finally made sense. You kept thinking at some point, if ever he was going to become a head coach, it was going to happen. But I think the other part of all of this, Scott, is that we're only in mid December and like coaching transitions are still going to unfold. I mean, I remember with, with Penn State um, just last year, like you had stuff coming out in, in January and February. Like it's, yeah. I feel like it's just now like the off season just comes in waves and we're in the middle of the craziest wave of it right now. Um, but I don't think any team, any program right now can say, oh, hey, our staff is set, our roster is set because there's no way it is. Yeah, you're exactly right because you've got, you know, the next wave that happens, we're going to see kind of a little bit of a quiet period. You'll see some declarations before bowl games, but then after the bowl games, you'll have the confluence of of mass declarations for the NFL draft coupled with NFL teams firing coaches like one in Chicago, for instance. Mm -hmm. And and maybe they look at uh, a Matt Campbell, for instance, or, you know, another couple of college coaches will be considered maybe one will jump and then and then that just adjusts everything else depending on the the tier that that program sits on and and so if it's uh let's say Kirby Smart let's have fun okay. let's say Kirby Smart uh gets hired by the Bears or you know then that opens up Georgia and who goes to Georgia mm-hmm. and then and then from that position who replaces the guy who, who goes to Georgia you know it's just that ripple effect and and so you see that and then then you get another wave of kind of transfer portal a little bit before the semester starts, then, then late signing period. And then you've got May and June, you know, because there will be graduates and, you know, people like that or, or right after spring football and people yeah, want to you see, see where you're at on the depth chart after spring yeah. ball. And yeah. You know, or people who just, man, you know, our, our team got decimated. I'm the last player standing. I want out of here. And so, you know, it's, it's going to be this weird wave, as you said, and then, and then recruiting is going to be hard, you know, hitting really hard in the spring and, and summer because you only got a limited period this last summer. So I, yeah, it, it's not going anywhere. This is going to be fascinating to watch and, you know, but before then we've got uh, what nine bowl games for the big 10 and, um, some interesting matchups, uh, you know, Maryland, I think uh, I, I'm intrigued by that Virginia Tech Maryland matchup. I really wish that was Maryland, Virginia. I, I just yeah. because of the rivalry factor, I thought, you know, B Tech hasn't been in the wasn't in the ACC all that long with Maryland. So um, and then uh, have you what have you learned or acquired, I guess, about the Arkansas matchup so far? I mean, that that one would intrigue me if I don't have another game going on exactly the same time. Yeah, yeah. If if you're really bored on New Year's Day, um, well, well, their best player opted out, so you've got that. Um, we haven't heard from Jahan Dotson yet for Penn State, kind of what the plan is there, because that's that's going to be the big one for the Nittany Lions. And does he play or sit out? Does he play a little bit if he does? I, I don't know. Um, you know, I just to be Scott, it's just a bizarre how Penn State even ended up in the Outback Bowl was really interesting. 
um, because we all thought Vegas and then you kind of look at it and you're like, well, Penn State hasn't been in Tampa in a very long time. Um, so you kind of slot them in there, but I, I don't know. I mean, the fan base has just kind of soured on this team because of the way things went this season. Um, I guess, I guess what I want to see is, can this be any sort of springboard to 2022? And I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes maybe we overhype that in terms of like, it really matters because your roster is going to change. But I think if you're a Penn state, you know, that Sean Clifford's going to be back for year six. Um, Logic tells us that Jahan Dotson probably won't be. So, you know, can you get a Parker Washington going more so than you have? And he's, he's been good. He's been productive, but can you get a Keandre Lambert Smith going a little bit more than he has? Um, but I also think it's the reality of this is a big game for Arkansas, where for Penn State, it's kind of like, a, eh, well, things didn't go how we wanted it to go, you know? And I think that that kind of morale thing plays a factor when you look at bowl matchups. It does in that preparation and how teams kind of analyze their situation and, and you know, the passion with which they play. And, and, and you know, once they get into the game, it, it's it kind of the game's the game. But but mm-hmm. uh, you can tell really quick which team really wants to be there, which team's locked in, and then and, and which one doesn't, especially in games like the one you and I are covering. I'm covering uh, the, the Citrus Bowl and Iowa and Kentucky, and Iowa has 10 wins, Kentucky has nine. Mark Stoops is a former Iowa player. Is In fact, his jersey is – his Iowa number 41 jersey is buried with his father, you know, um, because both because Bob, Mike and Mark Stoops all wore number 41 at Iowa and, and stuff. So that, that means something. It's personal for him. And then they went underwent a massive tragedy. And I know same thing with, uh, you know, in Arkansas as well. And uh, yeah, these, these games are, are interesting. I think they are mostly because the, the what happens afterwards, the momentum factor is more for the fans and how the fans look at the season. Like if Penn state goes and beats Arkansas and looks good doing it, they're going to fans are going to feel good about their team again. And all right, well, we had a disappointing year, but we ended on a high note. Uh, but if you go and, and Arkansas just does what it did to Texas and wins, you know, runs for 350 yards and wins, you know, 27 to 10 or something like that, then it's like, Oh, what a dud of a year. I don't care. And, yeah, it doesn't well, matter. It's next year's going to be different anyway. And I th- here's yeah. the other part, Scott. Like we still don't even know. Penn State hasn't said who their defensive coordinator is going to be for the game. Because um, my logic would say that co-defensive coordinator Anthony Poindexter becomes that guy, while Manny Diaz kind of just looks at the roster and starts evaluating. Um, but yeah, we don't even know that. So I mean, I think you added opt-outs and all these coaching transitions and you're just like, well, you know, like kind of roll out whoever you have and see what happens. And it kind of reminds me a little bit um, of when Penn State was in the Citrus Bowl with Trace McSorley a few years ago. And you just kind of look at that game and you're sitting there and you're like, you're at Camping World Stadium and you're just kind of like, well, this is not how they wanted this year to go, you know, and they kind of, they they looked and played like a team that didn't really want to be there. Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, maybe the most fascinating one of the bunch of the, you know, the non-playoff bowls is is the team I cover because they have a quarterback controversy. Um, certainly, uh, it, you know, they've switched quarterbacks in each of the last two games, uh, something Iowa never does, by the way, um, you know, Spencer Petras and Alex Padilla, uh, both played in those games. Uh, and we don't know who's going to start this game, at least right yet. Somebody's probably going to leave. I mean, it's just the, yeah. the, who, you know, what are, how are they going to handle the off season? How are they going to handle this bowl game and this bowl prep? So, um, 
Well, and, you know, people here would say, well, maybe they should start hitting the portal for a quarterback. You know, there's some good guys. A lot of them in there right now. Yeah. And just like not worry about it. But that's not the way it drives people crazy. But um, are you you saying we should cross off Bo Nix to Iowa right here on December 14th? Scott, is this what you're telling me? Am I the head coach or am I just an observer? (laughs) (laughs) If I'm the head coach, then I, I contact him. I contact Keaton Slovis, I, I do whatever it takes. Yeah. They, they, that's the one element that's keeping them out of being, you know, now, now they're ranked 15th. If they win, they're probably top 12, which is a good year for an Iowa team, you know, 11 mm-hmm. wins, top t- but you know, you aspire to be something better than what you are. And I think that's fair. And especially when you're ranked as high as number two at one point. So it's quarterback, it's offensive line. It's uh, you know, the running game, the running back already opted out. So that's uh, there's some fascinating developments there for the Hawkins. Damn it. I used that word again. <laughs> but uh, rough day, Scott, rough day. Yeah. So uh, Audrey, anything you want to promote, talk about uh, that you're working on? I know we're both, kind of juggling a bunch of things in the air as far as uh, recruiting and then our bowl blitz coming up next week. So we got, yeah, we, we are in the thick of it. Um, I will have a story for the bowl blitz. Um, it's kind of about the quirks and oddities of a bowl game that Penn state fans maybe don't remember or don't want to remember. Um, you look back at the ticket city bowl that kind of capped the whole year that was um, the, the scandal season. And so I am working on a story of that uh, with Sam Khan, our, our tech expert. So we're working on that for the bowl blitz and uh, Penn state has their on campus bowl media day this Friday. So we'll be getting some updates. I'm sure out of that, probably from Sean Clifford, Jahan Dotson, James Franklin, Scott, we're just in the thick of it with everything right now. Um, and then I'll be heading down to Florida on the 28th and I'll have some stuff from the Under Armour all America game. Um, I'll be linking up with our Clemson writer, Grace Rayner. So we'll be at Under Armour Media Day and doing all of that. So maybe our paths will cross as we're, you know, crisscrossing throughout the uh, the Sunshine State. Yeah, I'll be down in uh, Orlando on Christmas Day all the way, you know, past a week because I'll be doing the uh, the cheese at Bowl, uh, Iowa State and Clemson. So it'll be actually kind of cool to see Clemson play because there's their paths never cross. With I thought you were going to say to get some cheeses because I'm looking forward to the blooming onions. Oh yeah, well that's right. You got the blooming onions. So yeah, the outback uh, bowl, or, the, I mean, or the coconut shrimp. So oh, is uh, that is that an option? I haven't. I covered the first bowl game I ever covered was the last time Penn State was in the outback bowl. So it's been a while. I cover the Outback Bowl about every other year, so <laughs> you know. So I, coconut shrimp. That's what you're telling me, Scott. Is and um, it's it's one that when you go there, other than the repetition, sometimes it's uh, you know it, it's it's as good of a bowl as you're going to go to the Outback. And mm-hmm. I'm anxious to see the Citrus Bowl after that. You know, so obviously Iowa State and Clemson on the 29th, and then. Iowa, Kentucky on the first. I don't think I'm going to do any in our Arbor, Arbor stuff because, um, you know, Iowa's only got a couple of guys at the All American Bowl in San Antonio. So I don't think. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, there's anybody there. So, but uh, no, it, I, I got a bull blitz story about uh, an Iowa's 1981 Rose Bowl trip and uh, what happened on the road there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, some interesting stories from the road there. So, well, thanks, uh, Audrey, for, for, coming on the show today and we thank all of you our legends and listeners for subscribing please rate and review us and 
don't be afraid to give us five stars, especially on early signing week. So for Audrey Snyder, this is Scott Dockerman, and we will talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.